But good morning. Good to have an opportunity to, to share this message with you from Colossians 2. Colossians 2, the chapter that we forget about in Colossians a lot of times because we love what's in chapter 1, right? The intro, the, uh, the description of Jesus as God, you know, preeminent, all that. And then we love Colossians 3, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, putting on your clothing with humility, you know, letting the word of Christ dwell in, dwell in you, let the peace of Christ reign in you, all those wonderful things. And then the encouragements we see in, in chapter four and Colossians two is one of those chapters that we, we read it. It's nice. It's there, but we're like, ah, we like the other chapters if we're honest with ourselves. So um, I originally wanted to do Colossians three, but you know, the 12s through the end, because I like speaking on that, but Aoni beat me to it. So I'm willing to speak on something that I've never spoken on before. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 19 is where we will be this morning. But before we we read that, um, there's a word in there, at least in the NRSV, and I think it's in many translations that Paul uses right off the bat, the word strive. Um, he says it at the end of chapter 1, <clears throat> but he also says it uh, here at the beginning of chapter 2, basically poor chapter placement by the uh, publishers, by those who put chapters and verses in there, because we're continuing that thought that Paul left off in chapter 1 here at the beginning of chapter 2. But the word strive is what Paul says right off the bat in chapter 1. And, and what does it mean to strive for something? Well, Webster tells us in, in his dictionary that it's to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something, or it's to struggle or fight vigorously for something. Strive. We have an idea of what it means to strive. So what have we ever strived for, right? Think about that. What have we ever, or striven, whatever tense you want to use of that verb, what have we actually strived for in our lives, right? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's maybe it's work. Maybe it's we've, we've strived for something you know, a personal hobby, maybe something that we volunteer for. Um, what have we strived for in our lives? Have we ever done it for something? Have we ever strived for something that is greater than ourselves? Uh, have we ever strived for someone else for their good or for their own well-being? Have we ever strived in that way? And I'm not saying you have to answer that out loud. That's you know what you've done, and I'm not, this is not a judgmental question, but it's just a thing, something to think about. Have we ever strived in those ways? Because as we read Colossians, right here off the beginning of Colossians 2, Paul puts an emphasis on his striving for the Colossians. He puts an emphasis how he's striving for them and why he's striving for them. And if we know what the definition means, you know, he's making that effort. He's fighting, struggling vigorously for them. In fact, some of the translations would have that word struggle instead of strive or strain. You know, um, Paul is striving for them. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians 2, uh, 1 through 19, then we'll pray and then we'll get into it. <clears throat> for I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. 
For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your orderly conduct and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in the matters of food or drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the body belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, initiatory visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, for whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth that is from God. Let's just pray real quick one more time. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning. We are thankful for this time that we just have to look at your word um, and to try to understand it and to try to apply it to our lives. So help us to do that now, Lord, in the short time that we have as we look here at this portion of Colossians 2. May all that we say, do, and think be honoring and glorifying to you and ultimately point uh, us and point all this back to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us both hearer and speaker alike uh, to take what is heard, to take what is said, and to apply it to our hearts, apply it to our lives, so that me, we may live the lives for Christ uh, that you have called us to do. Uh, we ask and pray these things in your name. Amen. So <clears throat> we see that Paul wants the Colossians to know how great he is striving for them, right? He just lays it right out there. For I want you to know how greatly I strive for you. And what we've known from the Apostle Paul, if you actually study him, actually, if you read N.T. Wright's book, The Apostle Paul, it's a heavy read, so it might take you a while, but it's very insightful. Um, Paul, he was a zealous man, right? He was a zealous Pharisee who met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, we, I don't want to say he got converted because that would be wrong to say Paul believed who Jesus was, you know, understood who Jesus was. And instead of now being zealous against Christians, against the way, he was now the one promoting the way. Big flip there, right? And that zeal never left him. And here, so when he says, I am greatly striving for you, I want you to know how greatly I'm striving for you. Paul's saying, I'm all in. That zealousness that I have, <laughs> I'm, it, it's, 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 it's for you now right? I am striving for you because 
what I just told you, what I just explained to you about Jesus Christ in chapter one, that that we know of chapter one, in the beginning of this letter, I want to make sure you hold on to it. I want to make sure you understand it. I want to make sure you live it out. That's why I strive for you. And we see that, right, in some of the words he used right off the bat in verses two and three. He says, I want your hearts to be encouraged. Be encouraged about who Jesus is and what you know about him and the faith that you have in him and the hope that you have in him. Be united in that love, that love that he talked about at the beginning that Larry mentioned in his prayer uh, last week in the beginning of Colossians 1. Be united in love as believers. Be, know the riches of assured understanding, that you have this understanding in God, in Christ Jesus, and is a vast amount of riches in that understanding. And obviously, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. You know the mystery of God. The mystery that was talked about in the Old Testament that has now been revealed to us in the flesh, as Paul read from John 1 this morning, in the flesh, dwelt among us, Christ himself is God's mystery. And you know him now because you have believed him and you have received him. You understand that mystery. That is Jesus Christ. You have all of this. You you truly understand. You've truly come to believe who Jesus Christ is. And I want you to hold on to that. I want you to know what you have, and I want you to live it out. Why? Because right as he mentions in verse 4, he says, I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. Paul is writing to a young church. Colossians is not an old church. Colossians and Laodicea, they're sister churches. They They are young churches here. Paul is trying to emphasize what he wants them to hold on to, make sure that they know what they believe right? Make sure they understand that and fully grasp it and fully live it out because of the world, especially that they live in. The Greco-Roman world was a wild world. We think today's world is wild. Yeah, it might. It is. It might be on a different level because of technology, but the Greco-Roman world back there was, was quite wild, even with lesser technology, especially from a thinking, believing, philosophical standpoint. You had the Greeks with all their philosophies and philosophers, right? We can name them from Socrates to Plato to Epicurus, if you want to get fancy and, you know, get these obscure names out there to begin with East. Um, And then you have the Romans with their gods, all their different gods, and the Greeks with all their different gods. And then you have the Romans with the Caesar and the Roman Empire and then the worship of Caesar. And then you have the Jews, with what they believe about, you know, the old covenant, what they're holding on to and how they're not wanting Christianity to take off and they don't believe Jesus as the Messiah and all these other things that are now coming through the Greco-Roman world, whether it be Stoicism, Gnosticism, etc. All these things are combating, are trying, are fighting against, are bringing up their point, their argument, their discourse to say that they are just as good or even better than what you believe in Jesus Christ. These things are trying to compete for your attention, compete for your way of thinking, for your mindset, for your way of life, in contrary to what you know about Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, I don't want you to believe in those things. I don't want you to go after those things when you know what you have in Christ. That is why I strive. That is why I strain vigorously. That is why I fight for you. That's why I'm zealous for you, so you know and understand these things and live them out and are not easily deceived. And though I'm not here in person, though I'm not with you in the flesh, I'm with you in spirit, right? We always like to say, I'm not with you in person, but I'm with you in spirit. I'm with you. 
not there, but I'm here. I'll be praying for you. I'll be fighting for you. I'll be talking to other people about you. I'll be writing letters for you. You know, anything you need, let me know. Send somebody. Paul's like, I'm not there in the flesh, but I'm there in spirit, even though I want to be, because this is how much I strive. This is how much I want to make sure that you are living out that life of faith in Christ. And so we see this earnest desire, this striving that Paul has for them, right? And especially after we, as Larry encouraged us to do last week, read Colossians 1 again. Because when you fully understand Colossians 1 and read what Paul is driving home about who Jesus is, man, you're going to sit there and say, I got to strive just like Paul. That should be our attitude. You know, we didn't write what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, but we can read it over and over again. And when we understand it, we should say, I should strive that same way for the gospel, that same way for Jesus Christ, that same way for my fellow believers to have a similar understanding and, and living out of the faith that we know and have in Christ. So he says, I strive for you. And this is one of the ways I want you to understand as I strive for you and why I strive for you. And it's so that, as verse 6 says, you therefore, having received Christ, having believed Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. A deep desire that they walk in Christ the same way as when they received and believed in him. Walk in Christ in that same way that you received and believed in him at first. That first moment of faith, when you said, yes, I believe in who Jesus Christ is. When you heard the good news and said, yes, I believe in that. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you say, believe in who he is. Put your faith and trust in him. Walk in that same way. Remember, folks, when you got saved. Remember when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully you had this joy. You had this new sense of, of being and belonging. And maybe you have this, this fire within you that, man, this is such great news. I want to share it with other people. I want to, I want to, you know, know more about it. I want to grow in it. I want to absorb, take in all that I can. I, I remember Russ Sutherland, um, you know, from Canada. We know Russ Quist, who's spoken here, you know, him saying on a podcast one time, like when he first got saved, like he said, I was devouring the Bible, devouring books, you know, Christian books, asking questions, going to Bible studies, going to church. And this is when he was like an 18, 19 year old, as he says, rough kid, you know, wild kid in high school. And now we think about Russ now, we're like, was he really wild back then? I guess he was. But, you know, he, he says that like devouring. Remember how you were when you first received the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it be five days ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, Paul is saying, remember that and walk in that same way with that same mindset. Keep that going. Walking is an action, right? Right. Those of us who walk, those of us who hike. Now, it's very hard for us now to maybe understand the significance of walking today when we have so much mass transportation, whether it be our cars, trains, planes, automobiles. I'll name a movie, trains, planes, automobiles, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. We walking is sometimes a foreign concept to us. You know, we want to get to someplace faster and walking is not the fastest way. But back in this day, it was walking was the main of main mode of transportation. Unless you were wealthy and you had a horse or maybe a donkey or maybe somebody could just carry you. I don't know. Um, but walking was your main mode of transportation. So this is an action. You are, you're trying to go somewhere with this. You're trying to 
get from point A to point B. And that's what Paul is saying. As you root yourself and ground yourself in this faith that you have when you first believe, as you grow in it, you are trying to get from point A to point B. You're trying to keep moving, trying to keep it moving. Don't let it get stagnant. Don't let it get stagnant. Keep exercising that faith. That's something that Paul would later write, I believe, to the Philippians, you know, or maybe in Corinthians, he mentions that. Sorry if I misled you, but be rooted and established. Be anchored in that faith. Be grounded, right, that you had at the beginning when you first believed in Christ. Build on it, right? He says to build on it. Build up in him and establish it, right? Build that up. Don't just let it sit there at the foundations. We have seen many projects in New Jersey, right, where we're building houses or building apartments. There was one house I remember in Scotch Plain. I think it was on the corner of Westfield and Westfield over by the Wilkes house at that traffic light. For years, it was just the foundation. They started the foundation, and then what happened? No house. And you're like, are they ever going to build a house? And I'm not talking like this was like a year. This was like five years, six years. Fee probably knows better than I do. But I felt like every time I drove by it, I was like, when are they building this house? You know? Don't don't let our faith be like that. Paul's like saying, don't, don't let your faith be like that house that's unbuilt. Yes, there is a solid foundation that you have when you first believed in Christ. The faith that you have in Christ is that firm, rooted foundation. But build on it. It's an ongoing project. And that's what Paul is striving for them to know. He goes, in this world that is going to keep coming at you, in this world that is going to keep challenging you, in this world that is going to offer many things to you other than Christ, you can't let your faith grow stagnant. Because if you do, you'll go away from it and you'll go to those other things. So you need to keep building on that foundation. You need to keep going, working on that project. And in so doing, remember to be thankful, abounding in thanksgiving. Remember where you came from. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. We just spent some time earlier this morning doing that. Remember who he is. Remember the love, remember the grace, remember all that he is towards you, what he has now given you, what you now have in Christ, and how he is there for you and working in you and working with you. Remember that and be thankful. Let thankfulness drive you. If you feel like you're getting stagnant, remember to be thankful, right? Maybe that's one of the reasons why we get stagnant in our world today, because we're not as thankful and we don't need to wait to Thanksgiving to be thankful, Yes, the government implemented a day of Thanksgiving years ago under Abraham Lincoln, and now we celebrate it because of FDR every fourth Thursday of the month of November. But that's not the time just to be thankful. Paul is saying, truly, if you want to see our faith abound, and we want to see our faith grow, and the building keep being built up, and not just sit at the foundations, remember to be thankful. Abound in that Thanksgiving. Let it drive you. Let the Thanksgiving that you have because of what the Lord has done for you, and he's continually doing in your lives in your life and what he has shown you and allowed you to be a part of in his church and this great mystery that is also the church, as Paul writes in Ephesians 3, be thankful. Have that heart of thankfulness. This process, this being rooted, this being grounded, this building upon, this thankfulness is important. It is an important mindset so that we can have this solid base and not be deceived or taken captive by the other things the world is is pulling at us with, or by what Satan or what the devil would want us to do, right? The devil doesn't want us to live a life of faith that is growing. No, he would rather have us be stagnant. He he is anti-Jesus, and so he doesn't want us to do these things. But to remember, this is what we need to have. This is where we need to be rooted, and this is what we need to be doing, walking, moving, exercising 
our faith in many ways, not just in church, but also in the public square, which Paul would do many times and encourage many times for others to do. So why have this rootedness? Why be grounded in this way? Why strive for this? Why strive to see this and other believers? Paul emphasizes in verse 8 this, watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You need to be rooted. You need to be grounded. You need to be building and active and abounding in thanksgiving so you don't get taken captive, so you don't get led astray. Think about Nehemiah building the wall in the Old Testament, right? All the forces that Sanballat, Tobiah, all those guys who tried to stop them from building the wall. They didn't want to see the Jews come back to Israel. They didn't want to see the temple and the city be firmly established. No, they wanted to stop that. So they, they were doing everything they could to stop that building from happening. And there are things in this world that would do anything to stop this, this building of our faith from happening. Maybe not directly, but indirectly. And, and what Paul, I think, is saying is don't be taken captive by them in this way. In the Greco-Roman world, when you believe something, especially the Greeks, they thought this, oh, Jesus is a great philosopher. Jesus is a great teacher. This way, this way of Jesus, of the Messiah, is great. So let's just slide him in next to Apollos. He's right there. He's right there with all the other gods. He's so great. He should be worshipped. He should be followed. Let's just put him right there with him, right? Let's just slide him in in the Roman world, right? Yep, great teacher. Let's just keep him on that equal playing field. He's, he's just like everybody else. We can consider everybody else's teachings just like him. That's, that's what the Greeks thought. It's just another great teaching to learn from, right? To understand, to discuss. Um, and Paul's like, no, 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 that, that's not the point. Jesus is not on the same level as these guys. Or think about the Roman Empire, right? Uh, Caesar was Lord. Caesar was Lord. Not God, not Jesus. Caesar, right? Totally countercultural. Jesus is not on the same level as Caesar. Don't let the Roman Empire tell you that their political power is just as good. Their empire building is just as good. Don't let a political ideology, don't let a political party... Don't let a political way of thinking, don't let an ism all of a sudden hijack Jesus and say, we're going to use him and put him on the same level and saying, see, we allow Jesus to be worshipped here as long as we worship all the other gods and as long as we worship Caesar as the Roman emperor, as the Lord. No, Paul's like, no, don't be taken captive by that way of thinking, whether it be in the Greco-Roman world or in the United States of America. Don't be caught up with this way of thinking that if we make America a Christian nation, it's going to be okay to be a Christian. If we do things and we have rules and we have certain people in place, that Jesus Christ will be more openly proclaimed. No, that's not what Paul is saying, and that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, right? For if it were, my servants would be fighting for it. No, no. Paul is saying, don't be taken captive by all these other thoughts that try to put Jesus or hijack him or make him their mascot on the same level. Jesus is different. Jesus is above all these things. Remember what I wrote in chapter one. Remember what I just wrote in the beginning of this letter, that he is preeminent. He is above all things. The whole deity, the whole fullness of God wanted to dwell in him, you know, fully, completely. 
And in fact, Paul restresses there in verses 15. This is why he's saying, Jesus, don't be taken captive by these thoughts. Don't be taken captive by what the world's traditions are trying to do to Jesus or trying to do to your faith, because Jesus is above that. And he reminds them in verses 9 through 15, saying, once again, he repeats himself from chapter 1, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in him, right? Fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority, endgame. Not, not, a, not Avengers, endgame, Ruthie, sorry. <laughs> endgame, right there. Who is above every ruler and authority. Roman Empire doesn't match it. United States of America doesn't match it. British Empire doesn't match it. China doesn't match it. No, no, no. All of them beneath, because no, none of them are Jesus. And then Paul's like, let me just drive this point home. None of them have done for you what Jesus has done for you. None of them have saved you. None of them have worked salvation in this way. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. That's a little confusing. We'll get a little more simple for you. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. You are united with him, as Paul would later write in Romans. You are united with him in baptism, in death, and in resurrection. In the words of the old folk from the 1800s and the Wild West, you've hitched your wagon to him. And there's nobody else you're hitching your wagon to. That's it. That's it. You are united with him in that power. You are with him. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Just this idea. Paul saying, no one, none of these people have done what Jesus has done for you. In fact, that last line, making a public example of those rulers and authorities, not just spiritual, also physical, also human, making a, a, basically mocking them, making a public example of them. That'd be the Romans, that would be the Greeks, that would be the, the Judaizers, the Jewish way of thinking, the old covenant, who are trying to fight for power and trying to say, no, it's not you, it's not Jesus, it's something else. But what they did, he disarmed them on that cross. He made a public example of them. He said, they are not it. They don't have the power. They are not the people to be united to. I am. I am. I am that way. I am that truth. I am that life. No one else. No philosophy. No ruler. No government. No ideology. No ism. Whatever you can think of. Conservatism, liberalism, progressivism, uh, (laughs) nationalism. Whatever we think of. None of that compares to who Jesus is. And none of that will impact your life in the way that Christ has and impact this world in the way that Christ can. So as we think about this, there's a, there's a little video I want to show you. It's about two minutes, um, and we'll pretty much wrap up right after this. Um, it's Dr. Colonel West giving a speech at Berkeley Theologically, Theological Seminary, I think, this year. Um, for their 150th anniversary, and he's kind of driving this point home. He's a man who's a doctor of theology, but he's also a doctor of theology, of philosophy. So he kind of like talks to not just 
Christians and people studying God, but he also talks to all those people who study the philosophers, especially the 1800 guys like Copenhauer. He'll mention their names, all them, all them Hegel. But, uh, but it's the point of, you, you can talk about all that, but Jesus is the one that matters. So let's, let's take a watch. <laughs> Surprises a lot of people when I get a chance to travel the secular circles of Chicago and New York and Paris and Berlin and they Brother Wesley, just don't understand how you could be so deeply into your reflections on Plato and Aristotle and Descartes and Hume and Hegel and Nietzsche and Schopenhauer and still keep talking about Jesus. What's your problem? I said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you where I come from. Let me tell you about the greatness of the people who produced a crack vessel like me. When I was baptized 62 years ago in Shiloh Baptist Church, when I went down, I went down a gangster and I emerged as a redeemed sinner with gangster proclivities and I intend to be faithful unto death. This ain't no intellectual game that we play in. has to do not only with conviction, it has to do with affection. Not just Jesus in the abstract. It's the sweet Jesus that I sing about that I heard my mama and my daddy and Reverend C.L. West, my grandfather, the founder of Met Metropolitan Baptist Church on the chocolate side of Tulsa, Oklahoma, T. Rose, my grandmama, Aunt Tiny, Uncle Earl, they knew a sweet Jesus. I know that same sweet Jesus. It's tried and true. I'm a living witness. I'm a testimony to it. And so whatever forms of intellectual skepticism, whatever forms of intellectual critique, that's fine with me. But in the end, I know where I stand. I stand on a love that lifted me. I stand at the bottom of a cross of a blood that transformed me in such a way that I can try to love my crooked neighbor with my crooked heart, no matter how dark the situation is. Oh, that's where I come from. And I'm just a small, smart part of it. Because mm. it's hard to find in the last 400 We're good. So, yes, Dr. West bringing it home right there. But I hope you get the point there. He's saying that no matter, no matter what critique comes my way, no matter what philosophy I talk about, you know, how come you keep talking about Jesus? Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> you know, it, it's not Jesus in the abstract. It's, it's not just about conviction. It's about affection. It's about this love that we have for Jesus and knowing this sweet Jesus and understanding and being rooted and grounded on it. Like he says, I know where I came from. I know where I stand. I know what happened to me on the day I got saved. Yes, he was a Baptist. So when he got saved, he also got baptized at the same time. You know, and I went down. I went down a gangster. I love that line. I went down a gangster when I emerged. I was a redeemed sinner with gangster proclivities, um, which is all of us. Yes, we're all saved. We all believe in Christ, but we know deep down inside of us, we still have that sinful flesh. But that idea, I know where I stand, and I'm going to be faithful unto death. And nothing in this world, no matter what I study, no matter what comes my way, and no matter what intellectual critique, no matter what things challenge my faith and challenge who Jesus is, I know who that Jesus is because I've been rooted and grounded in him.
Things can be thrown at me. Things can be challenged. There can be arguments. There can be people trying to, to get me to go away from the faith. But if we hold on and understand who Christ is and walk in that same way, and be rooted in that same way as when we first believed and have that same joy and that same thanksgiving, man, all these things that get thrown at us, all these things that try to pull us away and vie for our attention, don't compete. Don't compete. Don't compete. If that message doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what does. But anyway, but it doesn't compete. And that's what Paul is driving home, especially after what he just shared at the beginning of his letter about who Jesus is and the deity dwelling fully in him and him being preeminent, right? Him being it, him being God in the flesh, now seated up in heaven at the right hand. He is it. Don't let anything else contend. And as he wraps up in verses 16 through 20, don't let anything else tell you you have to do something special to make this faith be rooted and grounded. Don't, don't let people tell you about what foods you have to eat or drink in order for you to be more spiritual or in order for you to keep the law, in order for you to be a true Christian. Don't let people tell you what, what celebrations you have to have, what, what festivals, what, what things you need to commemorate. No. If it's Jesus is the only one you need to remember, Jesus is the only one you truly need to hold on to. Don't let anybody tell you in like verses eight, 18 through through verse 18, don't let anybody tell you, you know, that you have to be over spiritual in certain things. That if, if you're not worshiping a certain way or you're, you're not uh, believing in the Holy Spirit in a certain way, or if you're not, you know, doing something a certain way, you don't hold to a certain tradition, you're not spiritual enough, you're not truly living out your life. In Christ, and, and we've seen that, yes, in the Pentecostal group, but we've also seen that in our tradition, where if you're not holding to certain things or doing things a certain way, are you truly living out Jesus when really it's, it's just a tradition or it's a way of thinking or over-spiritualizing things, and it's not really, as Paul says, rooted or holding fast to the head, which is Jesus Christ, right? It's more about man's way of thinking, man's way to do things, and not Jesus, ultimately God's way of doing it. That is who we grow in. That is who the whole body grows in and, and, and gets strength from and, and wants to be like. That is who we need to be focused on. That is who we need to strive for. So and as we close, do we strive for our faith in this way? Do we strive to live, to be rooted, to be grounded in such a way, to walk in him as when we first received him, to abound in thanksgiving? to be rooted, to be united in that love, to be encouraged in our hearts, to know the understanding that we have of him, to know the knowledge that we have in this mystery that is Christ and the church. Do we strive to walk in that? Do we strive to walk in him in that way? Do we strive to make sure that nothing competes with him in our lives or our relationship with him? Do we strive to hold on to him and grow in the way that God intended us to grow? And do we strive to see that not just in ourselves, but our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ? And do we strive to let the world know what we have in Christ so that they too may believe and walk in him in the same way? Do we strive for these things? But let's consider these words of Paul. Let's consider his zealousness. Let's consider his striving. And as we do, may we be encouraged to do the same, not saying it's going to be easy, we saw what, what it did for Paul, right? It led to prison. It led to a lot of suffering. It led to a lot of travel on foot and shipwrecking and all these things that he lists in, in First and Second Corinthians and what he goes through for the sake of the gospel. But he was willing. 
he was faithful unto death because he knew what he had in Jesus. May we be the same. May we know what we have in Jesus and be faithful in that same way and strive in that same way, looking to him, looking to the one who is preeminent, looking to the one who is the head, looking to the one who in all fullness, the deity dwelled bodily and looking unto him as the Hebrew writer says, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning. We're thankful for this time. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this example that the Apostle Paul has given us to strive in such a way for you, to strive in such a way for Jesus, knowing what we have, knowing who he is, knowing what he means to us, knowing what he's done for us and is continually doing for us and knowing how he wants us to grow in him and be more like him and to be this body that he, he wants in this earth to, to share the good news, to share the kingdom of God, something that is, that is not of this world, but is for this world, that this world needs so desperately. So Lord, help us to strive in this way, Lord. Give us the understanding that we need in Christ to, to know him and to move and to walk and to be a thankful in the ways that Paul has described. Help us to be united in love. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to help each other grow in the way that you want us to grow. Help us to be the body. Help us to be the believers that you have called us and, and desired for us to be as lights in this dark world. And Lord, help us not to try and put Jesus on the same level or be convinced to do so or to over-spiritualize or to over-traditionalize who he is and what he's done for us, knowing who he is, really, knowing that we have that full mystery revealed to us and that full knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. So help us to hold on to that. Help us to be rooted in it. Help us to walk in it. Help us to grow in it and help us to show that to others and encourage others to do the same as we do. We ask and pray these things in his name, the sweet Jesus that we know. Amen.